Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I am so glad that you're joining us on this Monday morning. Well, I want to encourage you today that we have an opportunity to destroy and get rid of things that keep us from being humble. But before we know what can keep us from being humble, I want to share with you just a couple of good quotes that get the broadcast started because today I really want to talk to you on this subject of how I can be faithfully humble, consistently humble in my life. And so somebody said that pride is annoying as a dripping faucet and it's troublesome. And I got thinking about this the other day. You know, I have in my bedroom, uh, in the bathroom next to the bedroom, this shower faucet that keeps on dripping, right? And I keep saying to myself, well, I need to go ahead and get this thing fixed. And so I tried to fix it and I could not get the handle off. And uh, there's a little screw that holds the handle in there and I couldn't get the, uh, I got the screw out, but I couldn't get the handle off. And I said, you know, if I break this thing, I'm gonna be in a world of trouble. So I said, you know, I'm just gonna leave it alone and I'm just gonna deal with it. So this has been going on for several months. I got this dripping faucet. And so this is what I did. I said, okay, uh, I'm gonna turn on the exhaust fan. And then that way I won't hear the dripping faucet at night. And it just kind of drowns out the sound of that annoying drip. I got thinking about drip. I've got a, an illustration I wish I could show you. And I call it a bug in a bottle and a dripping faucet. A bug in a bottle. Now, the other day I had my water bottle sitting there and I had the cap off and I went off and did something. It came back and I was going to take a swig of that water bottle. And just before I put it out of my mouth, I saw one of those black hard shell bugs uh, floating around at the top of that water. I said, man, that's, that's disgusting, right? And so a bug in a bottle and a dripping faucet have something in common. You know, pride is as annoying as a dripping faucet, but it's also as troublesome as a bug in a bottle of water. C.S. Lewis said, a pride man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So let's talk about what keeps us from living in consistent humility. You see, left unchecked, there's two things, I think, based upon God's Word, that keeps us from constantly living a life of humility. And it is selfish ambition and vain conceit. So left unchecked, selfish ambition turns a servant of God into a servant of themselves. So our theme verse today and tomorrow comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul is very emphatic, and he says, do nothing. The emphasis, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, it doesn't say do most things without selfish ambition, do most things without vain conceit, but he says, do nothing with selfish ambition or nothing with vain conceit. But then he says, do the opposite. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So I want to look at selfish ambition and vain conceit. And so what I did is I looked in the Bible and I saw where selfish ambition is written about, and I found six passages in the New Testament that talk about selfish ambition. Ambition. 
And uh, two of them were kind of the same passage, but there's actually five indications that my ambition is selfish. And I'm going to look at each of these, and these kind of surprised me when I looked at these passages of Scripture because I never really made a connection between a person who is humble versus a person who has selfish ambition. Now, beginning at this study, I want to drive home the point that ambition is not the problem. It's when ambition is driven for a selfish reason. Selfish ambition is wrong. Ambition is good. As a matter of fact, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about ambition. And even the Apostle Paul addresses ambition when he's talking about church leaders. And he says, if a person desires to be a leader, a presbyterist, it says that if he's got that ambition, he has a good ambition. That's a good ambition. It's good to be a servant of the Lord. It's good to have that drive and that determination that I'm going to be a servant of the Lord. Uh, It's good to be a leader within the church. He is not encouraging us not to be leaders within the church. He's encouraging us not to do it with a selfish motivation. So there's two things, I think, that will really rob us from constantly being humble. And the first one is selfish ambition. The second is vain conceit. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper on this subject. Here are some indications that my ambition might be selfish. Uh, We're going to look at five different texts, and we're going to come up with five indicators that I may be a person that is driven by selfish ambition. Here's the first one. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 says, I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord and jealousy and fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. So Paul is looking at this church at Corinth, and there's a lot of upheaval among the believers there. And as he's having this dialogue with them, going back and forth with these letters, during this time, he realizes that the reason this church is struggling with slander and gossip and arrogance is because they have this selfish ambition. Now, as we look at this topic, here's my first point. I am driven by selfish ambition, and one of the indicators is that I have a distorted reality. Paul says, you know, I'm really fearful that when I come to you, I mean, this is my second letter to you, and I, now I've got to come to you in person, church at Corinth, and he says, I'm afraid that when I come to you, uh, I'm not going to find things that I want to see, and you're not going to find things in me that you want to see. In other words, I'm not going to want to see you because there's some things that are not right, and you're not going to want to hear from me because you know that I'm going to address things that are not right. Uh, and uh, so in order for us to really understand this distorted reality, We learn that Paul established a church at Corinth in Acts chapter 18. It was established during his second missionary journey. Paul came to Corinth from Athens, and now Athens was about 45 miles away. And in Corinth, when he started this church on that second missionary journey, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And they worked together as tent makers. And Paul used the income that he earned, uh, making tents with Aquila and Priscilla to preach the gospel that we wouldn't rely on the support of others. And, and every day he would go to the synagogue. And when he goes to the synagogues to preach, for the most part, the Jews would not respond. And so Paul decided to take the message to the Gentiles. 
Now, his message and his ministry resulted in the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles, so the church in Corinth was made up of both. Paul ministered in Corinth for about a year and a half. Now, that's pretty interesting because Paul spends more time in Corinth starting this church than he did with any other church that he started. During Paul's time in Corinth, there was a lot of opposition against him, and that opposition grows as he leaves. And see, what was happening is the, the unbelieving Jews in that city were bringing charges against Paul before the Roman proconsul. But he refused to get involved with the Jewish religious disputes. Now, Paul stays there longer, as I said, than any other church that he went, but eventually he moves on and he goes to Ephesus. Now, Paul remained in contact with the Corinthian church throughout writing these letters and through all these personal emissaries that he had, and they were going back and forth, communicating with one another, sending warnings in some cases, giving instructions in other cases, and the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians are just two of the letters that we have that shows the address and the concerns that Paul has. Now, as we look at living in distorted reality... When Paul started the church at Corinth, he understood that that was a tough place to start a church. And as I think about starting a church in tough places, I'm thinking about places that are so secularized that they are not even considering the gospel. And that's what Paul is dealing with. You know, it used to be that when a person would become a follower of Christ— you could incorporate them into a leadership role within the church in a relatively quick manner of time. I wouldn't take long because our culture at that time was not too far removed from at least the Judeo-Christian ethic. I mean, at least those coming to Christ understood that there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong. They held good family values, even if they weren't a follower of Christ. They understood the importance of a solid marriage. They understood what marriage was. And so when they came to Christ, it wasn't a major shift for them to be involved as uh, becoming a leader within the church. They now say, when a person now comes to Christ, it will take probably around three years for them to get the foundation in their lives, for them to have the character needed in their lives to be a solid leader within the church. So it takes three years of being involved, being trained, uh, making some changes in your life. It takes that time frame for you to become solid in the doctrine, to become solid within the faith. So Paul understood what he was dealing with. But Paul realized, because of the foundation of this church, that there was going to be trouble down the road. Uh, he realized that things were not going to go well, and that this church, when he left it, uh, it was going to face some major attacks. And I get this from Acts chapter 18. Okay, I told you that the church at Corinth was started in Acts chapter 18, but now we get into Acts chapter 20, and Paul is making some predictions that the Corinthian church was going to face some major issues. And I want to drive home the importance of understanding why this is happening. It isn't happening just because they had such a secularized history. It's happening because they began to be involved in selfish ambition. Uh, they began to question the validity of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they began to challenge him, and they basically began to say, well, who are you, Paul? You're no better than us, and, and say things like, the same Holy Spirit that talks to you, Paul, can talk to us. 
Pride was creeping into them, uh, into their hearts, and they were beginning to live in a distorted reality. In other words, they weren't having a true picture of where they were. And so here's Paul predicting that this is going to happen in Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 29 and 30. He says, now, I know that after I leave, after I leave you, church at Corinth, like a babysitter leaving the children unattended, savage wolves are going to come. And they're not going to spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. So we know that Paul spends a year and a half at Corinth, you know, the physically being with them. And then he spends the next year and a half fervently praying with them, communicating back and forth with them. Now, if you're a pastor listening, maybe you can identify with what I'm about to say. What are the biggest surprises and disappointments as a pastor occurred to me after many years as a minister? I'm not talking about a decade. I'm talking about probably after about two decades of ministering, when I learned that the people that I love, and in some cases, people that I've even led to the Lord, and people that I've helped to overcome some pretty significant issues, turned on me. And now they didn't just leave the church. That would have been fine. You leave the church, you go somewhere else. But they turned on the leadership of the church. Why did that happen? You see, when you're motivated by selfish ambition, The need to win is greater than the need to love. Maybe a a way that I can drive home this point, uh, it's a serious point, right? Because when we are selfishly, ambitiously driven by that selfishness, that me-centered, you are going to have a distorted reality as to what is happening. There's a guy by the name of Kurt Goddell. And he was a history-making logician and mathematician. He died back in 1978. Extremely logical, extremely intellectual, a mathematician. And by being a logician, he was not a magician, a logician. He was able to put things together in a consequential order, in a logical order. In his later years... While working at the renowned Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey, he became convinced that somebody was out to poison him. As a matter of fact, he relied entirely on his wife, his beloved wife, Adele, to cook his meals and to taste his food before he would eat anything. In 1977, however, Adele was hospitalized and could no longer care for her eccentric husband. His friends tried everything they could do to get him to eat, but he refused. Now, eventually, this masterful logician succumbed at the end to death. He died weighing just 65 pounds. According to the official death certificate, he died of malnutrition caused by a personality disturbance. In plain language, he starved himself to death. He had a distorted reality. He thought for sure somebody was trying to poison him. 
There was no evidence of that. There was not even a hint or a clue that that was happening. But in his mind, that was happening. You see, when we become selfishly driven, we will not see the reality of how things really are. We will distort the truth, and we will be drawn away, and others will be drawn away with us. So Paul warned the Corinthian believers, be on your guard. He says, for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day. But because they were driven by a selfish ambition, they wouldn't walk in humility. So that's the first indicator that you might be selfishly driven is that you have a distorted reality. Let's look at the second reason or the second indicator. Number two is if I'm selfishly ambitious, I am heading toward eternal death. Let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5, and let's look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, just before he gets to the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he gives us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery is the crazy things we do because we're drunk, right? Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit eternal life. So if you are driven by selfish ambition, uh, along with these other things that Paul lists, then you have a danger that you've never been born again. If you are enslaved by selfish ambition, now you can do very well in this life, but you will not make it to the life to come. You will not experience everlasting life. You are headed toward eternal death. You will not inherit eternal life. Now, Paul doesn't mince words here. He doesn't say it's going to be hard for you to inherit eternal life. He says you're not going to inherit eternal life. Now, the Greek word here for selfish ambition is an ancient word, and Greek philosophers have taken that and defined it this way. Selfish ambition is defined as being ambitious for a motivation of myself. In other words, I'm going to work hard for what I can get in return. And the best way they could find to describe those types of people, he would say, it's those who are trying to achieve political office by making themselves look bigger and better before others through trickery. And here we learn that through trickery, I'm going to try to get power over other people because I want to have that control. I'm a power-hungry person. And now, if you have been involved in, in leading business or leading corporations or even in government, sometimes I've discovered that these organizations will often uh, promote incompetence. And you say, wait a minute, where is he going with this? Those who want to be advancing through trickery. And uh, one time I was talking to an individual who promoted a person, and I really didn't have anything to do with it, but I was curious as to why this person was promoted. 
And just as an outsider, I said, this person doesn't really have it together that well. Why in the world are we promoting this person? And so I asked him, I said, why did you promote this person? Uh, I don't see this person having what it needs to be in that position. And my concern was they're setting this person up for failure. And this is what this uh, uh, individual said. Well, I'm promoting this person because I'm sick and tired of dealing with their incompetence. And so I said to this guy, so in other words, you just promoted incompetence. Exactly. So he wouldn't have to deal with it. As you look at selfish ambition, it may help you in this life, but it's not going to help you in the life to come. A person who is driven by selfish desires is one that will not inherit eternal life. Now, I know this is awful harsh, right? It seems awful hard what we're, we're experiencing here as we study this issue of selfish ambition. Remember, if we want to live in consistent humility, constantly living in humility, not because we're forced to, because it's a change that is within us, that has got to be a change within our character. Well, there's a third point we've got to cover. Uh, when we look at this person who is driven by selfish ambition, if you're driven by selfish ambition, you have this danger of living in a distorted reality. You have this danger of eternal death. And number three, you are one that is constantly stirring up trouble. Now we're going to look at the book of Philippians, and here we see a third passage of Scripture where that phrase Those two words, selfish ambition, is found. Paul says, Philippians 1.16, The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble with me while I am in chains. So here we see that Paul is talking about the gospel being presented. And he's talking about the power of the gospel. And he's talking about two types of people who share the gospel. Some do it out of pure love because they genuinely, with a genuine and pure heart, they want to see people's lives changed. They want to see what the power of the gospel can do in saving people from eternal separation from God, saving people from themselves. Uh, They're driven out of pure love. But others are proclaiming the gospel, and their motives are not pure. They are preaching out of a selfish ambition. There's no sincerity in their hearts, but they're really doing it to stir up trouble. And that's what Paul experienced here. Uh, They were stirring up trouble for the apostle Paul. Uh, Now, the gospel was going to do what the gospel can uh, regardless of the motivation of the person that is, is sharing that gospel, that's, the, the power is in the gospel. Uh, the gospel is not the power of the messenger, it's the power of the message. You know, many years ago, I had a family join our church, and at the end of the service, they said, we would like to talk to you. And I said, I'd be happy to talk to you. And, and so they patiently waited till everybody left. And I, I spent a little time with them. And, and they said, well, pastor, we are not sure that we are saved. And I said, would you explain to me why you think that you're not saved? And they said, well, we were saved under the ministry of a pastor. 
who we loved and 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 he loved the Lord, but then something happened with this pastor. This pastor made some very poor choices and and, and he made some poor choices in regards to uh, this matter of his marriage and and he committed adultery. And I said, well, I'm not sure that we're saved because this guy led us to the Lord and now we're feeling that maybe we're not really saved because this guy led us to the Lord and look what he did. And I said, you know, your salvation is not based upon that messenger. Your salvation is based upon the message of the gospel. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he uh, was buried and that he rose again three days later, and you understand that you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God, and you realize that you need God's forgiveness and it's only based upon what Jesus did on that cross, how he died, he was buried and rose again, If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that's what brings salvation. And it's what we have, put our faith and trust in Christ. I said, you're born again. Don't let the enemy stir up trouble in your soul. You are born again. Well, I hope that you join me tomorrow. And we're going to continue on this lesson about being humble. And we're going to talk about how we can have signs of selfish ambition, and how we can eradicate them from our lives. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.